Hello and welcome to the historic Lindsley Avenue Church of Christ message. We are so glad that you're taking time today to join us for this message. And it is our prayer that you are staying safe and healthy. And uh, we just uh, are looking forward uh, to being back together as a church family, uh, looking at that in, in the month of June. So uh, we continue to pray for that outcome and to pray for each of you. Today I want to talk to you from John chapter 6, and I've entitled this lesson, Glorified Leftovers. And it might sound like a strange title, but uh, I take it from John chapter 6 and, and listen to the words of the gospel. It says in verse 12, to gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. It goes on to say in verse 13, filled up 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. And of course, this passage comes to us from that remarkable sign, that remarkable miracle of Jesus where he feeds the 5,000 people. And what's interesting about that sign, that miracle, is that it appears in all four of the Gospels. And so it's one of the unique miracles that is mentioned by all four of the Gospels. The only other one is the resurrection itself. And so when it talks about 5,000 people, the feeding of 5,000, it's talking about just the men who were numbered. So the number of the multitude was something like 15 to 20,000 people. And that sign began with just two small fish and five loaves of bread in the hands of a lad. And then at the end of it, at the end, what began in scarcity, what began with just two fish and five loaves, ended up having all of these leftovers. In fact, so many leftovers, there were 12 baskets full of bread that were left over. When I think about leftovers, my attitude about leftovers over time has changed. I remember as a, as a kid, leftovers, unless it was Thanksgiving, wasn't too much of a thing that I looked forward to. But now as I've gotten older, when I see leftovers, I, I have this value in my heart and in my mind that I don't want to waste food. And if you think about the affluence of America, if you think about the affluence of your own household, that how much of our food goes to waste. And, and what we find is that Jesus didn't want to see any food go to waste. He said, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And so Christ encourages the disciples to save all the food. Don't let anything go to waste. So our Lord has this mentality of not letting anything go to waste. And then I think about my own household. I think about households I've been in, and I think about all the waste. In fact, this week I saw an article about those in Africa. And it was this 
amazing picture of a line that was four miles long. And it was people waiting for food. There is a hunger in this world, isn't there? There is a physical hunger in this world. Can you imagine a line of people four miles, 11,000 families looking for rations, looking for food and abject poverty? Dr. Martin Luther King once said it like this, there's nothing new about poverty. What is new is that we have the resources to get rid of it. And it's a scary thing to see that sort of poverty in this world. Then I start to think about where we are in the United States. And I start to think about the anxiety that has surrounded COVID-19 and that surrounds our economy. And certainly anxiety and consternation has been heightened during this time, especially over the future of our economy and, and our jobs and people are scared and rightfully so. And then we look at the words of Jesus, which are challenging which are confounding even because Jesus says something even shocking in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor toil nor gather for barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Jesus confronts us and confounds us very quickly when he says, Do not worry about food. Do not worry about drink. Do not worry, the, worry about clothing. And I began to scratch my head because I don't know of anything much more worthy to worry about than those things because those constitute things that we need. But I want to first of all begin by dispelling the difference between worry and concern because there is a difference. There is a difference between worrying and legitimate concern. And what the Bible tells us is that there is a legitimate place for concern, for prudence, for foresight, and that this concern is different from worry, that worry takes on more than just legitimate concern. You know, Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone will not work, he will not eat. And so there has to be some sort of concern, some sort of foresight to motivate us to work if we're going to eat, right? And so there must be a legitimate concern. So what is the difference between worry and concern because Jesus doesn't say don't concern yourself about these things. No, he says don't worry about these things. 
So how do we differentiate worry from concern? Well, the first thing is, is that worry, the hallmark of worry is, is that it is an exaggeration of concern. And in fact, within worry is a falsehood. There is a falsehood hiding in worry. It's not quite true. And so when we begin to worry, we begin to think that our circumstances are worse than actuality or that we have more control over the circumstances that we really do. And so there is this falsehood embedded into worry and we begin to believe a lie. Of course, this is consistent with who we know Satan to be because he's called the father of lies. And so when we begin to worry, we begin to exaggerate. We begin to take hold of a falsehood that's not entirely true. What else? Worry is non-effectual thought. That there's a difference between concern because concern can move us to activation, to to work, which is beneficial, but worry is non-effectual thought. Jesus said it like this, can you add one cubit to your height? And the answer is no. And so worry is this non-effectual thought that really gets us nowhere. So that those are just a few differences between worry and concern. What else? Worry is removal from the present. If we begin to live in the past or live in the future to the detriment of today, we have moved from concern, legitimate concern, to worry, which is forbidden. And also worry is when our hearts and our minds become dominated by thought instead of God. And so worry dominates our minds and our hearts. And in one sense, it becomes an idol. It takes the place of God. God should be at the center of our thought. But yet this worry, this thought takes over and dominates us. And then lastly, worry is when fear becomes paramount over faith. And it's when our eternal Trust in God is eroded in transitory circumstances. Let me say that one more time. It's when our eternal trust in God is eroded over temporary transitory circumstances. So these are just indications of the difference between concern and worry. And so today I want us to take refuge into the story of when Jesus feeds the 5,000 to find out some things about the Lord and about us in our time of need. And there was a great need in, during John chapter 6. And it starts talking about Jesus and he has performed miracles and he's by the Sea of Galilee. And it says, and Jesus went up on a mountain and there he sat with his disciples now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And the first thing that I want to tell you today is and assure you today is, is that Jesus knows the need. 
And even though Jesus was separated from the people, separated from the the multitude, he was up on the mountain, yet he knew their need. He was removed from them bodily, but he knew what they needed. And you see, God knows what we need. He knows that we need to eat. He knows that we have spiritual needs as well. And sometimes in this life, it can seem as if Jesus is removed from us on the mountain. But this story in John 6 assures us that Jesus is knowledgeable of what we need. Jesus said that God is a provider. He says, if we ask for bread, will God give us a stone? If we ask for a fish, will he give us a scorpion? And if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give to us those things which we need? So there is this immense need in John chapter 6. This multitude of people are needing to eat. And Jesus recognizes it. So we first see the need. Secondly, we see that there is a test. In verse 6 it says, But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So this life will test us. And and in fact, sometimes even Christ will test us. But we have to make sure we're clear on this, is that Jesus, his tests never come to us to harm us or to undermine our faith, but to answer this naturalistic tendency that we have to see things in the box of our own perspective. And Christ challenges us. You see, he challenges us to strengthen us, to give us clarity, to refine us, and to reveal the faith that we have. You know, unless there is resistance, there is no strengthening, is there? You know, if if you came and went with me to the uh, gym and there I was just lifting air, Everybody would think I was kind of crazy in the gym. Why? Because the weights add resistance, which brings strength. And so sometimes we need to be tested. But when Christ tests us, it's never to undermine our faith, but only to strengthen it. And what do we find is that there's not enough money. Philip says, 200 uh, denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, and every one of them may have a little. And then it goes on to say that there was an, some sort of an answer. Because Andrew says in verse 9, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So first we see the need, then we see the test, and now we see the lad. And there's this unlikely answer to this problem of hunger among the multitude. Here's a kid who's got two fish and five loaves of bread. But what's interesting is that the lad shares his meal with the Lord. 
And God can do great things through humble means. Means that we write off. And you see, this lad shared his meal with the Lord and then it became so much more because of whose hands it was in. It wasn't in the hands of the disciples. It was in the hands of Jesus. And this meal, this generosity that this child showed grew into a great sign. And and we could say that this lad had an abundance mentality. That even though there was this multitude of people and there was a scarcity of food, he still shared his meal with Jesus. Do Do we have an abundance mentality or do we have a scarcity mentality? You know, there is a woman who was known as the Witch of Wall Street, not too complimentary of a name, but her name was Hetty Green, and she died in 1916, and get this, with a hundred million dollars in cash. And this isn't just counting uh, what else she had. She had uh, investments, she had real estate, but she had a hundred million dollars in cash when she died, but she lived a very sad life. She slept with a chain with deposit keys around her waist at night and a gun tied to her hand. And one day, her son injured his leg. And so Hetty Green took her son to the clinic for the poor. And the doctor recognized who she was, that she was this wealthy woman and demanded payment. Hetty took her son out of the hospital to not receive treatment. His leg was later amputated because it wasn't properly treated. Now she had all this money She had a hundred million dollars in 1916. But yet she had a scarcity mentality, so much so that she let her own child suffer. So much so that he lost his, his leg. In the story of John 6, we see a young man that had so little but yet he had this abundance mentality. And we need that same mentality today, that abundant mentality in the way that we give, in the way that we love, in the way that we deal with others, in the way that we negotiate with others. So from this child came a great sign. But what else is interesting is we see the gratitude. In verse 11, even though there's very little, look what happens. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to his disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So what happens is, is even though there is so little, it is multiplied in the gratitude of Christ and My first question to you today is, are you truly grateful for what God has blessed you with? Am I? 
And Paul says that's the key to prayer is to be grateful, be anxious in nothing, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We always want, 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 but are we grateful for what we have? And we see that Christ, even in this scarcity of resources, gives thanks. And as a result, there's so much food that there's leftovers, glorified leftovers. Verses 12 and following, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, they had seen that sign. They said, truly, this prophet, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. There was so much left over. They filled the baskets full with the bread. Not only was Jesus concerned about their physical health and their physical needs, but this is also about the gospel. You see, Jesus said something very important. He says, so that nothing is lost. We can go ahead and put another word in that place so that no one is lost. And the fragments of the bread represent what the disciples, the apostles went on to take to the rest of the world. They were given the bread of life, spiritual sustenance, and they brought that to the rest of the world. They brought Jesus to the rest of the world. And there's plenty to go around. So what do we learn in this is that Jesus was much more concerned about their spiritual health. And he goes on to say in verses 26 and 27, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. What is sad is, is that the people that were fed that day didn't see Jesus for who he was. They saw him simply for just a meal, for what they could get out of it. So it was never about food. It was about faith. And the sad thing that happened was, is that in verse 66, it gives us this report that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Jesus had met their physical needs, but they rejected him spiritually. The Bible says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Christ knows our need. He knows our fundamental need. And just as we have physical needs, we have spiritual needs. We need the bread of life, which is Jesus. 
Tests will come in this life. Challenges will come. Anxiety will come. But Christ promises to strengthen us through those processes. And we need to have, like that young lad, an abundance mentality. How we deal with others and how we give and how we love needs to be through that abundance mentality. And that gratitude is this powerful beginning to effectual prayer. And lastly, glorified leftovers is truly the gospel. The gospel which saves us. That which has been given to you, now you can give to others. Amidst this time of worry and anxiety, I hope you will remember that God can work so many things for our good and that he loves us and we don't have to worry. We can have legitimate concerns, but we don't have to worry. This time, let's turn our attention to communion. We turn to the bread, which represents the life of Jesus, the body of Jesus. We partake of it in a way that gives us eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for giving us the bread of heaven that has come down to man. Help us to not concentrate exclusively on physical things, but to live our lives with spiritual things first. Help us to seek first your kingdom. Help us partake of this bread in a way and manner which is pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Jesus shed his blood for you and me. At this time, let's remember that cleansing power and ask for forgiveness. Father God, forgive us of our sins. Help us to repent. Give us strength in this coming week. Thank you for this fruit of the divine, which represents the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. May God bless you in this coming week. And I pray that your worries will be eased as you set your mind on Christ. He cares for you. He loves you. He loves you so much that there's glorified leftovers for this world. May God bless you.